Well, good morning, church family. I want to invite you to turn back in your scripture to uh, Daniel chapter 1 this morning. As you're turning there, I'll invite our kids, children's church age, to be dismissed to children's church this morning. We have been camping out in Daniel 1 the last couple of weeks uh, with the intent to give our church its direction in 2024. Who are we going to be? What will we be emphasizing? And really, we've highlighted three main emphases so far. First, we recognize that the first step to living faithfully in exile is to recognize that we actually are exiles. Second, we live in Babylon, but we are not to be like Babylon. And I've tried to emphasize with you that I use that title, Babylon, not to refer merely to that ancient empire as we look at Daniel 1, but really for us to understand this world system that is opposed to God, often given that symbolic title in the scriptures, Babylon. And then thirdly, last week we looked at how an exiled church helps one another to grow in our faith, to be more conformed to Jesus' image while we're in Babylon. So last week, we really looked inwardly. We were looking at ourselves as the church, what we do as we gather together and what we do for one another. Well, this week, I want us to look really outwardly, but also upwardly. So our two main emphases this week are the world desperately needs the church. The Babylon that we live in desperately needs the church even when it often opposes the church and then secondly this week church we are assured of victory victory is certain for the people of God and so I'm going to ask you if you are able to stand in reverence for the reading of God's word the past two weeks I've read Daniel 1 in its entirety um, just to recap Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are taken as youth out of exile into Babylon. Daniel refuses to submit to the food laws of Babylon. He refuses to assimilate to the culture around him. He offers a test. God provides for them in the test, and they do not eat like Babylon. They eat according to how God had commanded them at that time. So now we're going to join back in to verse 17. I want to read to you verses 17 through 21. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them, and among all of them none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Let us pray. Father, we live in the Babylons of this world as your people, your church. Lord, I pray that we'll recognize ourselves as exiles, that we don't conform 
to the world around us, but we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. I pray, Lord, that we, the church, will encourage and strengthen one another in the word and in our faith. And, Lord, I also pray that we would be salt and light in this world, affecting good in the kingdoms of this world that are often opposed to you and to your people. And, Lord, I pray that we have complete confidence that whatever happens to us on this earth, Lord, in eternity, your church wins. And we win not because we're so good, but because you have won and we are in you. And so, Lord, I pray for great encouragement for our people. And, Lord, I pray that you would call us out. Lord, we were a little uncomfortable this morning because it was cooler in many places around us. And, Lord, I pray that we're uncomfortable even more so with lostness around us and we would be your people declaring the good news of your gospel, loving people that are far from you, loving them in such a way that we want to see them come to faith in Jesus. God, make it so in our hearts. Make us a great commission-minded people, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So we're in Babylon. And the church must avoid two extremes in Babylon. One is to be in the world and of the world. We notice that Daniel refused to live like the Babylon around him. He did not adopt its ways and values. A church that is just like the world has nothing to say to this world. In church, we have a beautiful, good, and true gospel that the world around us desperately needs. So we can't be just like the world. But there's another danger. And that other danger is withdrawing from the world such that we're not going to be of the world, but then again, we're not even going to be in the world. We're going to isolate. We are going to withdraw from the world. So the church can't be just like Babylon. But church, we are also a sent people into Babylon. If we retreat, if we never engage an outside world, how they know the light of Jesus Christ? Because Jesus said to us in Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Now we understand in John's gospel, Jesus came as the light of the world. But now we live as his people in this world and we tell the good news of the light of the world. And we can't be light to a dark dark world if we isolate from the culture, from the people, from the world that God has placed us in. And the world desperately needs the light of Christ in the church to shine to it. So listen, last week we, we stressed we need one another. We need to gather. That is crucially important. But it's one side of the coin. We also gather to go. We gather as a sent people. We come together. We're strengthened to pursue Jesus together as his disciples on this earth. But we're also the church dispersed out into the world to our families, to our workplaces, 
and to our neighbors and to the nations to make Jesus known to shine for him. As we look at Daniel and these three young men with him, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I want you to see that in Babylon, that's where they are, right? But I also want you to see that they are a great blessing to Babylon. And this is really throughout the scope of the book. But Jeremiah, if you go back to the prophet Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 1 says this. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem. Now hear who he's sending it to. To the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now we don't often put the timeline together. We're reading Jeremiah, we're not thinking of Daniel, but Jeremiah the prophet is writing to exiles, which includes Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All right, so they should be reading this letter, and what does Jeremiah instruct them in this letter? Let's go down to verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Now, I just want you to imagine how that could have been heard by Jewish people living in Babylon. Seek the welfare of the city where I sent you. They were sent to Babylon. Well, who was Babylon? Babylon was the people that came and besieged them, that overcame them, that took them into exile. Now, you can imagine some of the Jewish leaders or some of the Jewish people even responding to this, how can we justify seeking the good of Babylon? They are our enemy. They conquered us. They exiled us. And yet, is that not what God clearly directed in Jeremiah chapter 29? And in verses 17 through 20 of Daniel chapter 1, what we're seeing there is that God raised up these four young men to do just that, to be a blessing to Babylon. God raised them up to some of the top governmental positions in all that land. And then we see specifically in verse 20, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better. Now this is Babylon's king, Nebuchadnezzar, finding these four Jewish exiles in Babylon Ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. Now, when we see those words magician and enchanters, we shouldn't think in our 21st century American mindset of magician, somebody who does tricks at a children's birthday party. That is not the intent there. These were the astrologers and the mediums who could supposedly understand the spirit world. So really, what you have in competition here is worldly science, worldly astrology versus solid biblical theology of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And what has happened here, these guys are ten times better in the competition. It's not even competition. They just blow them away, right? How do they do so? Think about what tools the magicians and enchanters have access to in terms of wisdom. All they got is human wisdom, right, folks? That's all they can draw on 
is their own wisdom, their human wisdom. But Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're operating out of the wisdom of God. In fact, Daniel Aiken calls these guys Proverbs men, meaning they understand how God created the world, how God created people to function in his world, and how God created a people to flourish in this world. And the way to do that is following God and his principles that he has set up. Well, Nebuchadnezzar, he's trained these guys, right? He's trained Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego for three years. They've been in all the classes that gives them the wisdom of Babylon, that gives them human wisdom. But that's not what made them stand out. That's not what elevated them to leadership distinction. It is God and his wisdom that does that for them. Now, the king is the most powerful man in the land. I don't think there's any doubt in that. The most powerful person in Babylon at this time is King Nebuchadnezzar. And since this is the most powerful empire in the world at that time, Babylon's king is really the leader of the world. And in this book, we find kings like Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, and Darius. And they all come to Daniel in need of his wisdom. Do you see how God is raising these men up? That God has elevated them to high positions of service in that nation. And what are they doing? They are affecting good in the Babylon that they find themselves in. They are there for the welfare of the city. Now, I don't want to just leave this back there in Daniel and Babylon in terms of this exile. I want to ask us this question. How does the church bring good wherever it's dispersed into this world? How does the wisdom of God through the church bring about thriving and blessing for people around us? Let me take you back, not quite as far as Daniel, probably about a thousand years ahead of him, but back to about 400s A.D. There was a guy named Augustine. He was a theologian, one of the great theologians in church history, and he wrote a book called The City of God. Now, that book didn't just come about because Augustine thought, you know what, I'm bored, I'll write a book. This is a response. Rome was crumbling, having been attacked by Germanic empires. Now, this is the empire that had been standing for close to a thousand years, and it's crashed. And as you can imagine, many of those in the Roman Empire, citizens of Rome, they're upset about this, and they need somebody to blame. Well, guess who got blamed often? It's the church. It is Christianity. What had happened is in the last century, there had been a great growth in Christianity throughout the Roman Empire. Many people had become Christians. And Rome, many Romans doubted whether Christians could be good citizens of Rome since their allegiance was to the kingdom of God. One of the arguments that Augustine made was that Christians are the best citizens of Rome because they're first citizens of the kingdom of God. Our Bible teaches us that we are to be good citizens. 
And I think one of the ways that we do that is by the presence of the church bringing good in our society. I think we can make the case that nobody was better for Babylon than Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They brought great good to that society. I think the church in Rome, in the Roman Empire, was good for Rome. And I think throughout human history that wherever the church is, it is meant to be a good seeking the welfare of that city. Well, can you give me some examples, Pastor? Well, yeah, just, I mean, there's lots. We could look at education, the university system with so many Christian roots to it. But let me just bring up the issue of compassionate care. Scholars like Rodney Stark, Alan J. Schmidt make good cases that the, the history of compassionate care in much of the world is often due to the church. Now, in the past week or so, I have visited people at Forest General Hospital and Wesley. We have two good hospitals right here in our city. We can often take hospitals for granted until you really need one, right? We are very grateful for hospitals when we need them. The ancient pagan world often ran away from sickness and disease and plague. What you will find, if you look back throughout history, is when plagues come to places, people will often get out. So when pagans ran from sickness, guess who was running toward it? And it was often the church. And the reason is the compassion of Christ in the church and the biblical commands toward compassion and toward hospitality. And if you look from the 300s or so onward, the establishing of many hospitals is often rooted in the church. Think of throughout even the last couple hundred years, so many hospitals having denominational names attached to them. In fact, we don't have to go outside of our state. Jackson's first hospital... 1908 Mississippi Baptist Medical Center and it's still operating well, listen if you have hospitals you need doctors but you need nurses and the occupation of nursing the practice of nursing you can see so many roots in this in terms of Christianity and again compassionate care for those who are suffering Florence Nightingale you think of her in the history of caring for soldiers in war. Uh, often came from her Christian faith and understanding. We have an institution called the Red Cross. That name is not accidental. The Red Cross is not just an accident of history. That organization has Christian roots with some authors even saying, were it not for Christianity, there would be no Red Cross. I'll even take the idea of compassionate care outwardly. And today to even things like Southern Baptist Convention disaster relief. Oftentimes where there is a place of crisis, the first people in, the last to leave is the church. They're caring and serving. Well, that's just one of the ways that Christianity has been a blessing to the Babylons of this world in terms of compassionate care. What are some other ways the church can bless people? Well, I want you to stay with me here. Let me make the case 
that when you have rebellion against God's ways, it does not lead to good in any society. God gave certain ways for us to live that leads to flourishing. And a culture that's in rebellion against God's ways, instead of flourishing, will morally decline, which ultimately impacts a nation very negatively. So, let's think about this. Here's the church in the world standing for biblical values. But in the Babylons of this world, the Babylons of this world often oppose God's ways and God's values. But here we are in the world, yes, representing the kingdom of God, seeking the glory of God, but also seeking the welfare of the cities in which God has placed us. So let's go back to that phrase exiles, that term we are exiles. Let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 2. I don't think we've been in that um, as we've been in this the last three weeks. 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, that's us, the church, sojourning and exiling in this world, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. We're not to live like the Babylons in this world. Then how should we live? Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So a church living differently than the world, it's observed by the world. Even when the world opposes it, sometimes people are going to say it and say, they're different. I like what they have. I need this Christ. That they're living and they're sharing in word. The church's presence in the world often holds the world back from being as evil as it can be. Now, you know, I don't have to convince you that we live in a fallen world where there is great evil. All you have to do is check the news headlines and you know that. I don't have to make that case. But have you ever thought about how much worse our world could be if the church were gone? If the church was absent from the world. There's no institution that would be restraining evil. Who would be sharing God's ways and wisdom. Who would be compassionately loving people even when they're rebelling against God. Let me go back into Augustine and the city of God. Remember, Christianity had been growing for the last hundred years in the empire. And the growth of the church made many Romans think it was the presence of Christianity that made the empire weak and eventually fall. They believed that if Rome would have just kept serving all those pagan gods that they had served for so long, that Rome would have continued to stand and thrive as an empire. So here's what Augustine does. He argues that it's not Christianity that has weakened the Roman empire. Rome needed the church. Instead, Augustine argued that it was the moral depravity that Rome practiced and kept going back to that caused it to implode from the inside. Now, we must ask, I think rightly, how is the church good for 2024 increasingly secularizing America. This culture that often rejects our beliefs, rejects our doctrine, rejects 
our firm belief that salvation is in Christ alone, but further rejects our values, further rejects our ethical positions. Let me just flesh this out a little bit for you. The church holds positions that the world opposes on foundational aspects of our society, things like gender, things like marriage, things like life. The church believes, according to God's unchanging word, that there are only two genders. And whatever gender you're born with, that is the sex that you retain all your life. Well, increasingly, we're seeing that belief flies in the face of our culture that says gender is fluid. We believe there's only one definition of marriage, that God invented the institution of marriage. He alone has the right to define it, and he did not leave it open to being amended. We know that our nation has legalized same-sex marriage, and our culture rejects our biblical position. We believe human life is inherently valuable from the moment of conception until natural death because all people, regardless of age, race, ethnicity, intellectual ability, or any other factor is created in God's image and is inherently valuable. Let me just say, there's a good reason to say this today on Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, that these things matter. But much of our culture rejects that belief, and our position is increasingly met with hostility. How is the church holding to those position, those positions good for a society that often despises our position? And here's the reality. The church brings God's wisdom and God's ways for the good of our society, for the welfare of this nation he has placed us in. Like Daniel, we can't compromise on our beliefs because that does not help. It hurts people and human flourishing. Anytime we rebel against God's ways, it's not good for us. To rebel against God's good design and gender does not lead a society to flourish. A nation that attempts to change God's definition of marriage won't thrive. A people who treat life in the womb as expendable doesn't bring good on itself. So here's the church, now so often ridiculed, persecuted for its stances, yet we must continue to hold to those, one, for the glory of God, but two, for the good of our society. I think the church has a leavening influence in our culture. We're saying to human wisdom that adopts counter positions to the church, This is God's wisdom. These are God's ways. And we don't do that in such a way that we hate those that are in the midst of practicing those things that are in rebellion against God. Church, we must be the people who love our culture, that loves those that are holding to very different lifestyles or different positions Remember that compassionate care that we talked about from the church? Yes, that is in terms of caring for disease and plague. But most importantly, caring for the disease of sin and lostness. Because we have the only cure. And that is the gloriously good, 
beautiful and true news of a Savior who came from heaven, died on the cross, rose from the dead, who alone can save any human soul from whatever sin it is practicing. And that is what the church does. That is what we do. We must resist that temptation of despising people who are not walking with God, but instead, as the church, loving those people with the good news of the gospel of Jesus. We just celebrated Christmas almost a month ago, right? Do we really believe in Jesus' incarnation? I'm not talking about the nostalgia, the sentimentality, the, 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 the generic Christmas spirit. I'm asking this question. Did Jesus come to this world because it was so good he thought he should just visit it? Or did Jesus come to this world because it was so bad and so broken that there is only one Savior who could redeem it? Galatians 4.4 says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions, uh, adoption as sons. And I believe we are serious that the incarnation was God coming in the flesh to a world that opposed and rejected him in order for him to save it. Colin Hansen says this, As God's son, Jesus Christ wasn't dragged kicking and screaming from his home at the Father's right hand. He came to Babylon willingly. And church, as the light of the world, God has placed us here to go to our Babylon's Gospel compassion and gospel truth. Look at Daniel in verse 17b. It says about him that Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. God had gifted Daniel in such a way that he could interpret visions and dreams, which was a massive deal back then. And, and we see this in the very next chapter, chapter 2, Daniel saves the lives of even these wise men, these magicians and enchanters, because he can interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. Now, we don't depend so much on visions and, uh, or, or interpretation of visions and dreams today uh, because we have God's written word, God's revelation to us in his scripture. But I want you to see, as Daniel revealed God's plans and God's ways, it affected the saving of lives in Babylon. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were worshipers of the true God in a nation that did not worship the true God, and they are God's ambassadors to this culture that worships the wrong gods. That might have brought ridicule at times, but it also brought great good to Babylon. Now here we are in the Babylons of this world. God has placed his church throughout this world that's often reject, reject, that often rejects Christians and their message. But we have the only gospel that's going to say. And God has placed us here as his ambassadors. None of you, the moment you got saved, went directly to heaven. God left you here. God left us here as his ambassadors. If you just think of an ambassador, an ambassador is one member of a kingdom or a member of one kingdom 
living in another kingdom and representing that kingdom. We are citizens of heaven, living in the kingdoms of this world as ambassadors for heaven. Or as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If who we're going to be in 2024 and going forward doesn't include pleading with a lost world, be reconciled to God, we are missing a massive part of who God calls us to be. If Dixie Baptist in church is not intent on impacting lostness around us, we're not going to be who God calls us to be. Church, we, we heard, read up here, Matthew 28, 18 through 20 this morning. We have a great commission. I believe, as has been said by others, discipleship is the ministry of the church. So if discipleship is the ministry of the church, does that mean there's no place for evangelism or missions? Absolutely not. Because growing discipleship leads to greater compassion, greater desire for lost people to come to faith in Jesus. For those who are growing in Christ, they will want more to make Christ known to those who don't know him. And the more convinced we are that God really does have wrath for people who are separated from him, the more we want people to experience the joy of forgiven sin and reconciliation with this holy God. Wherever we go, to school, to work, family gatherings, to places of play, we first go as ambassadors of Christ on mission for Him. Every believer in this room, listening by Facebook or radio, if you are a believer, you are a great commission person. And we are to take that gospel with us. And I believe that is just a great strategy for accomplishing the Great Commission. Now, I've been told it won't work. And I disagree. Because it's worked for 2,000 years, every believer is a sent one. A great commissioned person taking that gospel where they go. You are here this morning because the gospel didn't remain in Jerusalem like it was in those early chapters of Acts. What do we see as we go throughout Acts? It went from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. Someone eventually crossed an ocean and came to America with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Somebody told you the gospel if you are in Christ. And I don't think there's a way for us to bring greater welfare to our cities that God places us in than by being great commissioned people proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And you say, well, you know, we're in the Bible Belt. Is it really that big a deal? Is it really that needed here? I heard a stat the other day as I was gathering with Pine Belt. 
uh, minister association, our admin team meeting, our, uh, our AMS, Randy Sims, told about a stat he got from uh, those in leadership at Jackson. They determined that 74%, I'm not talking about Saudi Arabia, I'm not talking about Iran, I'm not talking about North Korea, 74% of people in Forest and Lamar counties are designated as involved, uninvolved, sorry, as uninvolved with church. I don't know fully how they define uninvolved, but that stood out to me. 74% of people around us are uninvolved in a local church. Our area needs the gospel. The nations need the gospel. Yesterday, I very bravely took four middle school boys to the USM basketball game and my other 10-year-old son. It was a great time. I say bravely. We had a great time. But yesterday at the basketball game, the focus was, love how God brings us together. The, the theme of the game was International Students Day. And so what you had at halftime is international students coming across the court, lined up with the flags of their nations. And it, it, it took the entire court. Church, God has brought the nations to us. I'm, I'm talking... 20 minutes or so up the road. The nations are here. I'm thankful for our, our, our BSU people at Southern Miss um, and William Carey that have opportunity to engage the nations right there on their campuses. I'm also concerned for unengaged, unreached people groups. I'm thrilled at the IMB's Project 3000 where they're trying to take the gospel to the dangerous places of the world where people are not currently being engaged with the good news of Jesus. Why in the world would we be encouraging college students and others to consider going to really hard places where they might find danger, where they might be opposed, where there are great risks well two reasons the gospel is worth it the gospel is worth it people desperately need the gospel the stakes are too high not to go church there are millions of people around the world who have never heard the name Jesus we sang that precious name oh how sweet this morning there are people who have never heard that name that cannot be okay with you and me. It cannot be something that we say, no big deal. That has to grieve our soul. My former executive direct, uh, director in Arizona, of, of Arizona Baptist there, David Johnson, great guy. I had him come preach for me uh, at some point when we were out there. He told me, he said, if you don't give me anything to preach, I'm going to preach missions. If you don't have an emphasis for me, I'm going to preach missions. He had a heart for missions. But his heart for missions came, church, with skin in the game. His son, Jeremiah, had died on the mission field. Died in his 20s, I believe. Early 20s, on the mission field. But that didn't end Dr. Johnson's Desire, compassion, fuel for missions 
it grew it. He still preached missions, loved missions, encouraged missions. I said there's two reasons we send people to really hard places. One, the gospel is worth it. But two, no matter what happens, church, we win. We win. David Johnson's son, Jeremiah, did he lose or did he win? We can't just look inwardly. We can't just look outwardly. Church, we have to look upwardly. The two most famous instances in Daniel are the fiery furnace and the lion's den. We could bring the children's church kids back from children's church and say, what do you know about Daniel? They're probably going to tell us, fiery furnace, lion's den. Why, though? Why is Daniel in the lion's den? Why are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a fiery furnace? Here is why. They refuse to worship anyone or anything other than the true God. And we can't do that because we know that's not good for us. We have to worship the right God. And the kingdoms of this world, they won't always like that. Now God spared Daniel. And he spared Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these guys would not compromise. Listen to Daniel 3, 17 and 18. This is the three Hebrew young men responding If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. There's a but if not. Sometimes on this earth, God does not rescue us from the fiery furnaces or from the persecution or even from death. So I'm convinced the only way these guys are willing to enter into a fiery furnace and face the possibility of death is if they're certain death does not win. And if you're in Christ, church, death does not win. Whether you die a natural death at 102 or whether you die at 22 on the mission field serving God, death does not win. Robert Stein, who's a New Testament scholar, once told Danny Hagan that persecuted believers around the world have two favorite books. Those two favorite books are Daniel and Revelation. Both show that in the end, God wins. Now, how do I get all this? Verse 21 looks to us like a throwaway verse. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. That seems to have no import to us whatsoever on first glance. But hear me out. Who took Daniel and these three into exile? It was Nebuchadnezzar. Church, by verse 21, Nebuchadnezzar is long gone. This is about 70 years later. Daniel outlasts Nebuchadnezzar. He outlasts Belshazzar. God sustains him by his power. So who is this Cyrus guy? In verse 21. Well, let's go back to 2 Chronicles 36, 22 and following. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all the kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, 
Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord his may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. Nebuchadnezzar took Daniel and those three into exile, and they lived to see Cyrus letting them go back home. In the end, Babylon did not win. The church has been under persecution almost since the time it was birthed. It's not going to stop until Jesus returns. But Jesus will return. He is coming back. He is going to redeem, reward his people. When he returns, no one will stand against him. We will live forever in his kingdom. And may that type of resolve strengthen us to live faithfully for him in the Babylons of our world. May this lead to such a gospel compassion for those who are apart from him and very obviously defiantly apart from him. May that lead to a passion in his people for the kingdoms of this world to know Jesus Christ. We are light in this world, bringing Christ's light into the darkness. We are ambassadors, members of the kingdom of God, placed among the kingdoms of this world so that so many from this world will become members of Christ's kingdom as well. Colin Hansen says, We might live in Babylon right now, but thanks to Christ, one day we'll live in New Jerusalem. We're in exile now, but soon we'll be home. Church, we're going to sing. And we're going to worship. That's how we respond to God and His Word. And I also invite you to think, is God calling, to, calling you to believe, to repent, to come to faith in Jesus? Is God calling you to a certain neighbor, a certain co-worker, to have a greater sense of prayerfulness for and a greater desire to share the good news of Christ with? Is God calling you to greater trust in who He is and a greater trust in the biblical worldview to live for Him? Is God calling you to serve Him in missions or in some other form of ministry? Those are right questions to think about. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the good news that we have been able to flesh out today. Lord Jesus, you are good. Your name is precious. And Lord, may we take the name of Jesus. Maybe it's across the street. Maybe it's across the hall at work. Maybe it's across the hall in our dorms or classrooms. Maybe it's across an ocean. But God, your name is too precious not to take. So God, may in 2024, Dixie Baptist, your church arise. God, you have been doing so many good things in Dixie. And you've been doing so many good things through Dixie. Lord, we ask you to give us more souls for the kingdom of God who come to faith in Jesus this year. Here around us, we pray for souls around the world. God, we pray for a people holding fast 
to Christ. No matter what the world says around them, they will be holding on to Jesus, living for Him. Make it so, we pray, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen.